Father, we come to you again, and Lord, I thank you that you don't tire of us coming to you again and again. And as a matter of fact, Lord Jesus, you said, I don't even want you to leave. I just want you to stay here. Lord, you said that. You, you said to just remain with you and to abide, and Lord, that's what we want too. So Lord, as we come into your presence again, we ask you, Lord, to open up our hearts, to speak to our hearts, Lord, to use your scriptures, Holy Spirit, to minister to us, to speak to us, and Lord, to have your way in our lives, Lord, for your glory. For that is why you chose us and appointed us, Lord, that you would be glorified, that people, that others would know and see you, and uh, that we would find fulfillment and joy in relationship, restored relationship with our maker. Lord, we thank you for that, and we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So before I, I get into this relatively short study, I want to point out something when it comes to fruit, that um, fruit is not really for the benefit of the tree. Fruit is for the benefit of the person who comes along and picks that apple, picks that peach, picks that clump of bananas or grapes or whatever your favorite thing is. It's to benefit the other person. And as we read in our scripture, our portion of scripture tonight, we're going to see that that's kind of what the Lord is saying when he says, I want you to love one another. I want you to give to one another. And when we are fruitful, when we are healthy and bearing that kind of spiritual fruit that we've been talking about, it is for the benefit of those around us as well. Of course, it's for the health of the tree. But it's that it, the fruit might be the, to the benefit of those around them. Um, it is for the world to benefit, and it is for the church to benefit, isn't it? So the world should be able to come along to my peach tree and pick a peach that is sweet, a, pe a peach that is juicy. It's not full of worms. It's not full of disease. It's not full of bitterness, but it is full of the sweet flesh of a beautiful tasting summer peach. And yet I fear that sometimes, maybe more often than I would like to admit, when someone comes along and tries to pick some fruit from my tree in my life, it's a little bit angry. It's a little bit bitter. It's a little bit selfish and a little bit uh, not Christ-like. And yet, when we walk in the Spirit of the Lord, we will be bearing fruit that is beneficial and fruit that says in Scripture that will remain. And it's going to be fruit. You're going to be bearing fruit. You know, and, and it says, in, as we read in Psalm 1, everything that she does is going to prosper and that she's going to not ever wither. I mean, there's going to be this beautiful life that is offered to the people around them. Um, again, to the world, that the world would be able to come along and taste our life and go, mm, boy, God is good. Christ is worthy. Um, this person loves me. Therefore, God must love me, as they keep, she keeps telling me. And then when we are in the context of the church, that it would be the same thing, that my life benefits your life, and your life benefits mine, that when my fruit is all picked, <laughs> or, you know, or I'm in a season of winter, I can come along and go, oh, let me share in what, what you are offering, what your life is offering me. So how valuable is it that for one another that we are walking in the spirit of the Lord, that we are abiding close to Christ, that we're bearing that fruit. It's for the benefit of one another. Of course, it's for the benefit of the tree. The Lord wants healthy trees. He wants you to be healthy. But he also recognizes that that fruit is for the benefit of those people around us. And when Jesus talks about the kind of love he wants us to have, it's his kind of love. And his kind of love, it is sweet, yes, but it is very others-centered. Jesus really doesn't even make it about himself. He wants to minister to the person, doesn't he, when you look around. And this is the command that we come to. I'm going to go ahead and read these scriptures here. Um, because what we have seen is the metaphor of the Father as the vine dresser, Christ as the vine, and we as the branch. We've seen our position and our responsibility to follow the command to abide. And in the next section, the second metaphor, the second illustration, is that Jesus wants to get his point across by illustrating that we are his 
friend. That we're no longer his servant, but that we are his friend. So we're the branch in the first section, and now we're the friend in the second section. So we're going to talk about the command to love, and we're going to talk about the um, position and the responsibility of a friend of Christ's. So let's go ahead and read the portion of scripture, um, and then we will move into briefly the last portion about the world and our relationship to it as well. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. In other words, you would continually be bearing fruit. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. So in this portion from 12 to 17, it starts off with, my commandment is that you love one another. And then it also ends with, and my commandment is that you love one another. Now remember, Jesus has been trying over and over to get the disciples to understand, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be delivered up, and the Son of Man is going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. And they're just like, ha, ah, la, la. They don't, they don't get it. They're not hearing him. And even so much so that Peter rebukes the Lord, doesn't he? I mean, not only does he not get it, he doesn't believe it, he doesn't see it. He goes so far as to go, oh, no, no. No, Lord, that's not going to, let, let me take you aside, Lord. Let me instruct you because I have revelation, remember? So I'm going to instruct you. That's not going to happen. And Jesus is like, get behind me. This is the whole reason that I have come. He's been trying over and over to let them know that this is going to happen. And so here he says, greater love has no one. He goes, I want you to love as I have loved you. The kind of love that I have been modeling for you in these last three-ish years, this is the kind of love I want you to have. And there won't be any greater love than the love that I'm getting ready to show you, which is the cross, right? We're about a week away, and he's like, listen, you guys, I want you to love like I love. And greater love has nobody than to lay down their life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friend if you do what I command you. And what was the command? Is that pretty simple? Doesn't it seem like we complicate that? We make it so complicated. Well, the Lord makes it really simple. He's like, if you are my friend, then you're going to obey me. And what I want you to do is to love each other. I want you to love each other. When we love each other, not just in word but in deed, we are walking in obedience to the Lord. This is his instruction. And in one sense, this is close to his final hour. And what does he want? He wants us to get along. He wants us to love each other. He wants us to be thinking outward, not just inward. Because I don't know about you, it doesn't go so well for me or my family or anyone around me if I'm just thinking about me. How well does it go in your house <laughs> when all you can think about is what's going on with you and that everyone should be revolving around you and why aren't they serving me? And I remember, I've said this before, getting ready to, um, I'm doing so much for my, my kids and I'm cleaning up and doing all this stuff and I'm like, you know what, am I, I'm, I'm not your servant. And then it was like, uh, uh, maybe I am, actually. I just, I was not wanting to be. <laughs> I wasn't acting like a servant acts. I didn't have the attitude. I was doing the job, but I didn't have the attitude. I didn't have the love. So if we are his servants, if we are his followers, if we love him as we profess to, then we're going to do what he wants us to do. We are going to be looking out to other people because it is, it is very much a trap when we start worrying too much about what's going on with us. Because we have a fine dresser. We have a father who comes along and goes, the winter's coming, I'm going to cover you so you're protected. <coughs> he covers us with his promises. He covers us with his love and goes, I'm going to protect you because this is going to be a hard, cold season. So I'm going to cover you. That's what they, they do, right, with certain plants that are that can't take the cold, the Lord's like, I know what you can take and what you can't, and I'm going to cover you in those times. So the Lord deals with us. He helps us in all of those times where that's, what is it, a Wednesday night? Maybe it's a Sunday night or some other time where you're supposed to come for fellowship and you're at home and you're in the middle of a thing or you just finished dinner and it's just, you know, your kitchen's exploded. I don't know. How does that happen? It's like, 
everywhere. And, and you're like, well, now we have to walk out the door. And sometimes we just have to do that. Or you're just engaged in a thing. And you're thinking, well, the last thing I really am thinking about is going to worship the Lord. And you get there. And you're sitting down. And worship starts. And all you, you glance over and you see the shoes that girl's wearing. And you're like, those are cute shoes. I wonder where she got those. Oh, don't think about shoes. You know, and you're like, Lord, maybe I should just not have come. And you just sit there and you have to battle with yourself and go, not shoes. Jesus, right? Not her hair, not that kid, not, you know, whatever. But we have to battle sometimes. And that's okay to battle sometimes. Um, to just go and go, I'm going to go and know that the Lord is going to take care of my need. That I have done that many times, you guys. I have come so many times thinking about other stuff that I'm worried about, concerned about, that's burdening me, um, that I, that's occupying me. And I come in and I'm like, Lord, I'm going to choose. And I have to sometimes not even sing the song yet because I'm like, Lord, I'm not there yet. I'm still, I'm still at home thinking about that thing. And Lord, would you help me, Lord, to think about the people that are around me, the ones that have needs that are much greater than my own. And know, Lord, if I set that aside at this time and I, and I focus on you and the ones around me that you've given, you're going to take care of my needs. And you know, he is so faithful to do that. And every time I have done that in obedience, I mean, straight up, obedience, not desire, not want to, <laughs> obedience. Lord, I'm here because I know I'm supposed to be here. And sometimes we fight against supposed to in our culture. That, that's not a, a, a phrase people like to say, but there are some supposed to's. And sometimes the supposed to is, get yourself to church, lady. <laughs> and I have to preach that to myself because there are those days where you're just like, oh, Oh my goodness, everything, you know me, the wheels fell off, right? You know this about me, this is what happens. The wheels fall off, and if I can just anticipate that, I'll be successful. I'll be like, no, I'm going to go. And every time I have gone and thought, oh, Lord, would you just, would you use me somehow, Lord? And as I wrestle through this, I've come to be ministered to, but Lord, I've come to be serving too. And every time I've done that, there has been a special encounter with somebody who really needed someone to, to put their arm around them or to pray for them or just to greet them and meet them. And the Lord, by the time I get home, I'm not really concerned so much anymore about that thing that seemed so big. And even if it was big and I got home and it still felt big, the Lord goes, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. He just, he honors this other's centeredness. And I do want to tell you that one of the things we are supposed to do is love one another, not just make sure that we're healthy. Because the vine dresser will make sure that we're healthy. We look out for other people to help and love and serve and minister in his name. Because why? Because we're loving like he loved because we're giving of ourselves to other people. And you know, I really don't think that you will have to lay down your life for another. But as an example of his love, we will be thinking of the other person. There is a really quick poem that I'm going to read that I read to my um, team that was serving here um, a few weeks ago on a Monday night. Um, it says, Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Help me in all the things I do to ever be sincerely true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I might live for thee. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. And it is not saying I shouldn't take care of myself. It is saying that my priority will be others. And I will know that my vine dresser is going to take care of me. So the Lord goes, if you love me, if you're my friend, in verse 14, you're going to do whatever I command you. And he's like, and what I'm commanding you is that you love one another. And in fact, even in Jesus's prayer in the garden, um, in a couple chapters over, chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, verses 20 through 23, this is Jesus praying in the garden. I do not pray for these alone, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. That's me, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe 
that you sent me. We testify to who Christ is when we are one, when we are loving one another, when we are acting as a unit, as a family, as a sisterhood. God gets glory from the fact that we're loving one another. In fact, isn't that what he said the mark of a Christian would be? They are going to know that you are my disciple by the love that you have one for another. We've got to come into the meeting thinking not just about ourselves, but about the person that's sitting next to us or behind us, the person that's sitting by themselves, the person that might be new, that we might reach out to them in the name of the Lord in the congregation and also in the world, that we are testifying of the Lord by the love that we have one for another. You know, as an example, when we were in California, we were on staff there after we had come back from Australia. We were there for about four years uh, before we moved here. And some of us had women, ladies, had gotten together and we <laughs> we were going to sew shorts, all of us. We were going to show like sew like a very simple, I don't know if it was elastic or something, because it definitely didn't have a zipper, I can tell you that. So it must have been elastic, like sort of like a, not like a full Bermuda, but like a little longer, cute little cotton short, whatever. Somebody knew how to, how to sew. So we all got together, <laughs> about six of us, to do this. Mine, don't ask how mine turned out, but one leg was <laughs> longer than the other. I am not a seamstress. I don't know. I can do curtains, but I can't do clothes. So we all get together, though, and we go over to Joanne Fabric, and we're looking at fabric and picking out fabric, and what kind do you want, and what do you like, and what should we get, and how much do we need, and blah, blah, blah. Going through this thing, and we weren't thinking anything of it at all. And then we got up to the register, and the woman at the register goes, how do you guys know each other? And we're like, oh, we're all, you know, we're friends from church. I think there was maybe eight of us. We're all friends from church, and we're all going to sew shorts together. She goes, I can't believe how loving you are to one another. I've never seen a group of women that is so not competitive, not critical, and that just is loving one another. You guys are so full of love and joy. I, I, and we were like, it's Jesus. I mean, it was like... It's the Bible coming true, you know, right before my very eyes. We got to give glory to the Lord. We are all believers in Jesus. We all go to the same church. That's why we can love one another, because we are so taken care of. We are so loved by the Lord. His example of love in our lives is so real and so good that we extend it to one another. And we invited her to come to fellowship. But, I mean, it was a completely nothing conscious on our part. We were just being we were just thinking and loving and, and sharing in, you know, what kind of pattern do you want? I mean, it was um, such a sweet example. But this is what the Lord is saying to us. He's like, I want you guys to love one another. Now, the funny thing is, there's no qualification on who these people are. <laughs> they may not be the most lovable person. They may not be the, the person that's like you. They may not be the person that has the same taste as you, the same age as you. But I can tell all of you younger girls, whether you are single, whether you're young and married and have children, all of us older, we think we're you. We <laughs> I know you look at us and go, mm. But we think we're you. We still feel like we're you. So when we're like palling around, we, we just feel like we're you. So, you know. We're not thinking that at all. It doesn't matter, yeah. But um, whether we're different, whether we have different, we're in different stages, we can have love one for another. We can have an affinity. Even if we're not in the same exact thing, same exact season, same exact desire, some of us love the outdoors, some of us want to sit in, you know, in the library. I mean, some of us are... You know, we just have all different kinds of personalities. So not every single person is going to be just like you, and that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. I mean, first of all, birds of a feather flock together. That's probably true. Of course, you're going to sort of gravitate to those who have the same tastes or whatever. That's totally fine. But that is not ever to be to the exclusion of someone else who doesn't have that same exact thing. Someone who goes, I don't, I don't ever wear shorts, but I'll come with you. Okay. Okay. So it, may, it doesn't matter what the person is like, whether they are unkind, whether they are different, whether they are truly not easily loved, <laughs> lovable, we're to love that person in the name of Christ. Because you know what? What did Jesus say even when he was on the cross? He's like, he was still thinking of others. Of course, he was thinking of us, the Bible tells us. But he also says, as has already been mentioned, he assigned John to take care of Mary. He was thinking of her from the cross. And then he says, Lord, forgive them, because they don't know what they do. 
And in my mind, I'm like, yes, they do. They know exactly what they're doing. But the Lord is like, no, they don't really, they don't get it. They don't re recognize that they're crucifying the Lord of glory. They don't get it. Um, but God, he, he's just such an example for us of, of how to love and the kind of love that we're supposed to have for one another. And I know you're sitting there going, yeah, that's really great and true. Rah, rah. I can't do it. <laughs> Neither can I. None of us can do that apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to love people like Jesus loved them. In order to love those people that have offended us, those people that have wronged us, those people who have straight up been offensive to you and done you wrong, stole from you, whatever it might be, um, that we might have the kind of spirit of love that Christ had. We can't do that apart from the spirit of the living God falling upon our hearts and giving us that love. And you know, there might be people in your home that you're having a hard time loving right now. Might be your kids, might be your roommate, might be your husband, might be just a friend, might be, I don't know. <clears throat> when we get in the presence of the Lord and we ask him for that love, he will restore it. He, he will give us his love. He will replace our hard heart for a soft heart when we sit and take the time to ask him. And again, it's tarrying. It's waiting long enough to go, I know my heart's not right, Lord. I, I don't have love for this person. In your home, out of your home, doesn't matter who they are. But the Lord goes, this is what I'm commanding you to do. And you know, he never commands you to do a thing that he's not going to equip you to fulfill. He will never do that. He will always go, I'm going to help you do this. I'm going to empower you. All of the life, all of the power, all of the strength that you need comes from the vine. Right? You just stay next to me, connected to me, and I'm going to give you all that you need to fulfill what I'm commanding you to do. And he does ask us to love the unlovely. He does ask us, even when they're hard, sometimes personalities are just hard in the workplace, in wherever, neighborhood. We've all had that neighbor, that one neighbor that's just not an easy neighbor. Whatever the situation, the Lord goes, I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. I'm going to make you who you need to be so that you can be then that loving vessel of mine so that people can see Jesus, so that your fruit is nice and sweet. I think prayer sweetens the fruit, don't you? <laughs> oh. It is proof, too, that we are friends with the Lord. You know, it brings a parent so much joy to see their children getting along, doesn't it? Don't you? Those of you that are parents, it's like, oh, thank the Lord, they're friends. They're getting along today, maybe, when they're little, right? Oh. But I remember when we would leave when the kids were little and we'd be going, maybe we were going to get to go out to dinner or go to somebody's house for some fellowship or something. And we, you know, the last instructions were always like, Nothing strange, nothing sharp. And there was one more, I can't remember what it is. But it was, get along. We used to tell Tyler, because he's the oldest, whoever was the oldest at the time, right? After he was, then it was Whitney. But it was like, servant leadership. We want you guys to get along. You know, we like, get along while we're gone. We're not here to finish, you know, any squabbles and pull you guys apart <laughs> off of each other. So get along, right? And so when you come back, you can get the good report that, Nobody's bruised. There's everything. Nothing seems to be broken around the house. But as they get older, you recognize, oh, I love that they get along. I love that they're friends. And, and you know, Jesus is getting ready to go. He's like, I'm not going to be around a lot longer. So I'm commanding you not once, not twice. It's multiple times. He's like, I want you to love each other. I want you to be thinking about the people that are around you. I want you to love them as the Father has loved me and as I have loved you. And it's a high calling. It's not an easy thing. Oh, yeah, just be loving. Doesn't, loving doesn't just mean be friendly. Because that's easy. I mean, it's easy to be friendly. Even if you're an introvert, you can smile and go, hi, it's nice to meet you on a Sunday morning and then sit back down. That, I know that can be a stretch, maybe for some, but not for every. Most of you, that's not a real stretch for. But it's more loving to, to go beyond that, right, and to actually love, not just, not just a friendly. That's, that's a good start. I, I'm, I love friendly. But that's not necessarily loving. Because sometimes I love to come across friendly. I want them to think I'm friendly because I'm going to be friendly. And I am friendly. I want them to think that. But loving is hard. Loving is sloshing through sometimes difficulty and ugly and hardship and, and stuff that's not fun. 
It's not an easy thing. It's a very high calling to love like Christ loved. But again, he will equip us to do that. And if you're in that place right now where you're going, I just, it's just hard. I'm in this situation with this person or these people or whatever, and I just don't have it. You know who has it? The Lord. He has it. He's able to take out that heart of stone and put in that heart of flesh, that soft heart that you need, and to just fill you with the kind of love that you need for that person or for those people. We are the friend of the Lord, and this is going to be our next point um, I'm going to go ahead and just reread that section. He introduces the concept of friends in verse 13, and then he clarifies it further in verse 14 and 15. He says, um, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from the Father, my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus now throws them a huge curveball by calling them his friends. This is a pivotal, huge moment, because there has only ever been one person who has been called the friend of God, and who was that? Abraham the only one ever called the friend of God. Now, now, this is a huge, pivotal thing that Jesus is doing. He's going, look, you're not really just my servants now. You are my friends. And, and as we are his friend, he's like, if you are my friend in verse 14, he qualifies it, if you do what I command you, you prove the fact that you are his friend when you obey him. The proof of our confession is found in our obedience. The proof of our confession is not in our confession. It's in the fact that we now obey him. Because even though he is our friend, we are his friends, he is not our buddy. Jesus, we don't pal around with Jesus, right? He is still God. He is still Lord and Master. But he has brought us into a close relationship and going, I am now calling you my friend. You okay? <laughs> this is a mind-blowing statement because this is a very privileged position. I mean, this is, this is the most privileged that we could get, that we are friends with God. We are friends. We throw the word friend around a lot. We have dear friends, old friends, close friends, new friends. Hmm? Frenemies. mean? Oh, frenemies. Oh, I don't think that's a biblical word. But, but we have all different kinds of friends, right? Levels of friendships, inner circle, outer circles, whatever, right? But Jesus is calling us to close relationship and going, I am now calling you my friend. And that is a privileged, huge, amazing thing. And we should never lose sight of the fact that the closeness that we get to enjoy with Christ is a privilege, it is an honor, and he is not like your girlfriend. He's not even like your husband, though that is, of course, a type. He's God. He's God. Now, servant I get, employee I get, subject I get, soldier I get, but friend? Like, I understand I'm subservient, but he's going, yeah, but you're more than that. And he says, why or how are we more than that? He goes, because you know what your master's doing. Because I've, I've shown you, I've told you, I've modeled for you, I've taught you what I'm doing. You know the master plan of the Lord in your life, right? We talked about Mount Rushmore. The Lord trying to carve us into the image of his dear son, right? To, to, that we would be that Christ-likeness in the world. So he goes, you're my friend because you know what I'm doing. And, you know, I think sometimes we say, oh, I don't know what's happening in our lives. We confess to not understanding what's happening. We don't know exactly what God is doing. But, yes, you do. He's conforming you into the image of Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's giving you opportunity to show more of himself to you. He's giving you more opportunity to grow you into grace. He's giving you more opportunity to bring glory to him in your life. He's allowing this thing because it matures me in my walk with the Lord. We know a lot about what the Lord is doing. 
We talked about minutiae earlier. We don't know maybe specifically what's happening with this little thing, but we do know the big picture. And if we can sometimes just back up from where we are and get a bigger picture, you know, get a telescope instead of a microscope, we can see better, right? You can see a whole lot better sometimes if you just back up. You know, if you're looking at a painting, they always say you need to back up from it. You're not supposed to be right up on a painting. You're supposed to back up a certain amount of feet so that you can enjoy the big picture of what you're looking at. When you are doing making quilts, which yes, I can make quilts straight, but I can't do shorts, but that's different. So quilts, when you're trying to pick your fabrics, you're, you stack them up, they're folded, and you stack them up, however many you're doing, and you're supposed to back up and squint and take a look and see if they go, sorry, see if they go together, see if it works, see if it's, you know, so that you can back up. Because when you're up too close, I can't tell. I need to back up. I remember handing things to my mom when I was growing up and just putting it like right here every time. Hey, mom, look at this thing. You need to sign this, whatever it might be. And I remember her just every time going, <laughs> just... Give me a little distance, honey. I can't read it when it's that close. And when we are so up close and in the minutia of things, I think we lose the big picture. Because the Lord has given us so much information about what he's trying to do in our lives. So we, we, there are things we don't understand. Of course there are, at least now. But we do have a lot that we do understand. And you know, his big picture is that we would see glory, the glory of God in our lives. So Jesus has led us in on his plans in verse 15, um, we function as his friends because we are in his inner circle. I want you to think about the king or a president and his inner circle, the men that are around him every day, right? Whether it's his cabinet, if you want to call it that, whether it's his assistants, whatever it is you want to call them, they have a privileged position to be close to the president, the powerful man in the Western world, right? Or the king, if we want to use that one. You get to be in the palace with the king. You get to be near him. Now, you are, are not palling around with him in the palace. He's an authority in that position, right? That president, that king, they're an authority. But you get the privileged position of standing next to him, being ready to carry out what he wants, to carry out what the wishes of your God, your, your prince, your, your king, whatever he wants, that's why you get that privileged position. You get to know what he wants to do. You get to hear what's going on in so many places in the heavenlies. We get to hear conversations. We get to see what it looks like up there. And then when the Lord says, I want you to go do this thing, our job, the job of that inner circle, those friends, those people in that privileged position is to go carry out the wishes of that master. So that's that privileged position. We do know what the Lord wants. We get to hear those conversations in the scriptures of, oh, this is what I'm doing. This is what I want. This is how I'm going to work. We understand his works so that we can learn his ways, right? I say that all the time. You've heard me say it if you've been around. We study the word of God not just for academic purposes, but that we would see what he does so that we can understand his ways, not just what's happening, but what God is doing in that. We have so much understanding through the scriptures, and yet, of course, we don't understand every single thing in our lives. But we get to be privileged to be close to him and go, wow, Lord, I know someday you're going to roll up the heavens like a scroll. Lord, I, you, you've told me, you know, and, and I get to be in your presence, Lord. What is it that you want? You know, there is an Old Testament verse that says that the Lord is going to guide you with his eye. So if the Lord is giving you, we, we've all given instructions with our eyes before, haven't we? Like, you can communicate a lot with your eyes, right? But the Lord wants us to be looking at him, attending to him in his presence, in that privileged position, and be keeping an eye on him because he's going to go, go. And, we're, and we, because that servant is so in tune with what's going on, they know exactly what that king is wanting. And may we be that close to the Lord and go be looking to him and going, Lord, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? Because too often I'm too busy worrying about what Rebecca wants, how I can please Rebecca, how Rebecca can look good, how Rebecca can have everything she wants and have it all easy. I always want it to be easy, don't you guys just want it to be easy? It's not going to be easy. I, oh, there you go. There's the mic drop. It's not going to ever get easy. <laughs> on this earth. But when we get to heaven, oh my gosh, all of this sin and strife, you guys, it's going to be gone forever. But may we be 
recognizing in that privileged position that it's that we might carry out the will of the Lord. Yes, we are his friend, and yes, he is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. And we were talking earlier during the break about how, you know, we can... We can um, talk about and recite the promises of the Lord sometimes really flippantly and it's almost like it doesn't it's not that big of a deal like he'll never leave you or forsake you oh he'll never leave us oh that's great but when you're alone that scripture is so impactful oh Lord you're never gonna leave me Lord you're right here with me no one else is with me like Paul everyone has left me you remember that he writes he's like they're all gone they've all left me Demas has left me Andrews, they're all gone, but, but the Lord Jesus never will leave. And that, those promises, they're not just platitudes. They, when you're in that position of loneliness, that is so precious to you. And so the Lord um, is there, and we're in his presence. In fact, Oswald Sanders says, We are his friends, and we ought to be near the throne, listening to his word, enjoying his intimacy, and obeying his commandments. Our job is to be in his presence honoring him, enjoying the intimacy that we get with Christ, and then following through with whatever it is he's commanding us to do. And in this portion, he's commanding us to love one another. He's commanding us to be one. He's commanding us to not major in the minors, not to make a little thing a big thing. Oh, she looked at me wrong. Sorry. There's pollen. Maybe she's having an allergy. Who knows what's going on? (laughs) And like I've told you before, if I'm not wearing your glasses, I can't see you smile at me. Unless, I, oh, there you are. <laughs> These are not for up close. These are for far away. But I hate taking them on and off, on and off, on and off. But it's being others-centered as Christ was others-centered. And it's being in his presence in that privileged, intimate circle. Because not many know the Lord, right? It's a narrow path to follow the Lord. And there aren't many that follow it. And so we have this privileged, intimate, small community with Christ. And we need to be standing there as his friend, as his loyal companion, as he is to us, and going, Lord, what do you want? Keeping our eyes fixed on him so that when he uses his eyes to command us, we're like, we know exactly what he means. And the beautiful thing is, if we don't, we can ask him. Because we're his friend. We're not just a servant standing there, afraid to ask him. I don't know, he did this. What does that mean? Ask him. Ask him. Lord, I need some clarification. I need a neon sign. I need it to be big, Lord, because I saw your eyes, but I wasn't sure what it meant. He's so good. He's so good, but we are in a privileged position as his friend because even though we are his friend and he is ours, again, we are, we are not his pal and buddy. We are more of an intimate companion, and we get that intimacy. It's such a beautiful thing. So Jesus lets us in on his plans. And because we are his friends, we obey his commands. And his command is that we would love one another. Our relationship to one another is really important. Not just, I don't just mean in the church, I mean with others, in anyone in general. And you know my husband's definition is love is choosing the highest good for someone despite the possible negative repercussions it may have on our lives. That is the highest, that is what love is. That is God's love. It's the highest good for you. What's the best thing for them? What's the best thing for you? This should humble us and make us willing to fulfill the command of the Lord when we, have, when we recognize that we have this position, that we would go, Lord, whatever it is that you want. I'm just so, do you, you feel like David sometimes, Lord, I just, if I could just be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, that's all I want. Lord, if I can just open the door for people, I would be happy. And the Lord goes, no, friend, come up here. It's like at the wedding feast, right? Take the low seat and then let the Lord bring you up to the front, right? No, sit up here by me. Take this privileged position. And that is what the Lord has done. I would be so happy to just do that in, in heaven. I'll just open the door for you. It's okay. I, I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> but the Lord goes, no, I have more for you. I have you. you you're now my ambassador. You're the one that's going to go forth. And the way that you love people until you are physically there is going to be my um my example, you're going to be my ambassador. You're going to be the one that shows other people what my love is like. First Corinthians 2, 6 to 11 says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory 
which none of the rulers of this age knew. For, they, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. As a matter of fact, that verse doesn't stop right there. It continues. And a lot of times when we quote that verse, we stop there and go, wow, yeah, it hasn't even entered. We can't even think about it. We don't even know. We can't even imagine it. But have you continued to read? Because it says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, though, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. So all of those things, all of those things that we've not seen or heard or even thought about, the Lord's going, yeah, but I have revealed them to you by the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So the Lord has revealed to us who Christ is. He's revealed to us exactly how we can be His, exactly how we can restore our relationship with God and with one another. So the next section that we're going to close with briefly here in John chapter 15 is about the world. And the, it's kind of sad. The title in the section in my Bible is The World's Hatred. It's kind of like, oh, do we have to read that one? Yeah, we do. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. In other words, because I have spoken to them, they have no excuse for not believing because now they've been told. They have responsibility. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And here's the hope. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So as this section closes, Jesus is like, I believe it's like he's talking about expectations. What are you expecting from the world? You follow me and I have nothing to do with the world. And if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. Sometimes we think we can cozy up to the world and it'll be okay. But it doesn't really work that way because the world hates Christ. The world hates Christ according to verse 18. He said, it hates you because it hates me. And because it hates us because we are not of the world. Do we remember that we are not of this world? Do we, do we recognize and understand that the reason as you grow in your walk with the Lord that more and more you long for heaven is because this is not your home? It becomes less and less comfortable for me in this world as I grow in my walk with the Lord. I'm longing for him to make it right. I'm longing for him to be at the th on the throne on this earth. I'm longing for the pain, the corruption, the sin to be washed away and gone that we might have rest. Sometimes we think that we're going to find rest in this world and we're not. The world is at enmity with the Lord. And we are his followers. Therefore, we are at enmity with the world. They are at enmity with us as well. And when we think it's going to be different and that it's going to be okay, if I just love them better and more, then they're going to certainly stop hating me and they're going to stop hating Jesus. It doesn't really work that way. Because there is a spirit of antichrist in the world, right? They are absolutely opposed to who you love. They are anti the Savior that died for you and for me and for them. And it's kind of hard to grasp that because it just doesn't seem like it could really be true. But it is. 
It is. We don't belong in this world anymore. We belong in heaven. Does anyone else feel like that? That the, as, the, as we, the Bible talks about how the earth just has those pains and those groanings of, oh, make it right, Lord. My spirit, along with the Holy Spirit, I believe, is going, oh, Lord, come. Come back and fix this broken world, Lord. Come back and show yourself to be judge and champion and victor. And I'm going to stand with you on that day. That's why we need to abide. We have to continue because you know what? Jesus wins. Jesus is the victor. He doesn't stand up there, oh, I sure hope that they come. I mean, yes, his heart wants them to come, but he stands as the the lion, right? He's not coming back as a servant. He's coming back as conquering king. And all of those who have turned their hearts away from him have no assurance of salvation. We don't want to be in that number. We want to be in the number that is standing with the Lord when he comes. Jesus said this, Will the Son of Man, will I find faith when I come back on the earth? When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? I stand there and go, oh, yes, Lord, by your grace and strength, I will be standing. I will be looking up, Lord, because I just can't help but think that the Lord is coming back soon. He's coming back soon. And, you know, we need to be strong in our faith. We need to be close in our intimacy with the Lord. We need to be obeying his commandments, whatever they are. And in this case, loving one another and being that example, even as our hearts groan and go, oh, Lord, make it right. I was speaking to a friend who just lost her father a couple weeks ago. And um, she was just talking about, you know, how they laugh and then they cry and then it's hard. And I said, I remember when my parents left, how that was. And I said, you know, I really think that as we're grieving, the Holy Spirit grieves with us. Because this is not what he intended. We were not supposed to experience death and suffering and corruption and pain and hardship and difficulty. It was supposed to be beautiful intimacy with the Lord. But that's not what we experienced because of the fall, right? But I believe that the Holy Spirit, he grieves inside of us when there's, when there's death and when there's pain. And so as we sorrow over those things, I think the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, that's right. That's the right thing because this is not what I ever wanted on this earth. But you guys, this is not our home. We, we don't belong here more and more, and we need to, to share the love of Christ because we do believe it is the power of God unto salvation, don't we? We still believe. Do you remember that song, Jeremy Camp? I still believe. That was in the context of the death of his wife, his first wife, right? I still believe. I still know that you're good, Lord. And even as the corruption increases and people fall away, I go, Lord, I still believe. And I want to abide and I want to stand in your presence. The privilege of being in that room with Christ. Because the Lord, the Bible tells us, even if we're sitting in this room, spiritually, we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And he's going to come back. And I just, I just want to encourage you in that. If you're feeling like it's been, a, it's been I've been... Um, trudging along. It's not been a hop and a skip. It's been a bit of a trudge. It might continue to be. Because I think sometimes, you know, the spiritual walk of Christ, it's a lot of plodding. It's a lot of putting one step in front of the other. And then one day, all of that stuff's going to pass away, and we will find that rest in Christ, because Christ is our rest. We're not resting here. If you feel restless, you're very biblical. (laughs) Because your rest is in him, and your rest will come one day when all of that will vanish away, and Christ will sit on the throne, and we will sit with him. It's a glorious position that we have in him. We should value it and, and um, maintain that closeness with the Lord, that our lives might be full of the love of Christ, full of that juicy, sweet, wonderful love of God, knowing that... Um, all that he's promised is true. And you know, it's been a while, and I, I mentioned this, that um, when I got saved as a teenager, not a teenager anymore, <laughs> I'm a grandma. I never thought I would get this old. Not that I care. I'm thrilled. I have a wonderful life, and I don't care how old I get. I just want Jesus to come back in my lifetime. I want to be raptured. I don't want to 
die. I want to be raptured. Not because I'm afraid of death, but I really want to be raptured. <laughs> Don't you? Don't you? Just go, oh, I just want to be that generation. And the Lord wants us to live like he's coming back tomorrow. He wants every generation to live that way. And as we see the way the world is going, we can see, yeah, it seems like it's getting nearer. It seems like it's getting closer. Oh, Lord, get us out or come back, make it right. But the Lord goes, yeah, but I'm long suffering and I'm waiting for that last Gentile to come in. And maybe there's that loved one for you. You're going, yeah, not yet, Lord. Not yet, because this, this one's not yet there. Um, he's long-suffering. He's good. His timing is perfect. And he's going to come back to get us one day. And he's going to make all things new. And in the meantime, we, as his followers, we must walk in obedience and not expect that the world is going to love us. Not expect that they're going to value Christ like we do. Not that they're, gonna, they're not going to understand why we would sacrificially love for somebody else. Why we would want to give up our time to minister to somebody else. They're going to be like... I'm out here to get my own. Why do you want to do that? What are you, weak? Yeah, <laughs> I am, but he's strong. And because of the great love of Christ, I do this. So may the Lord continue to get glory as we obey him and we seek to love one another and to seek that unkept world that has no vine dresser. May we not just be repulsed by them, but may we have the love of God for them and go, oh, oh, they're so wild. They're so prickly because they don't know Jesus. They don't know him. So let me come and share with them. May we have that kind of heart for the world around us, not just angry and frustrated and ooh, grossed out, but may we run to them with the truth, because they need it just like we did. Let's close with prayer. Lord, thank you so much that you called us your friend. Lord, we, we know who we are. Lord, as that song says, I was a wretch. I remember who I was. And really, in so many ways, who I still am. I act so wretched sometimes, Lord. But you call me your friend. You call all of these beloved sisters your friend, Lord. And you say that we are your friend when we obey you. So, Lord, will you help us to obey you? We don't really have it in us, Lord, and you know that. So you have given us the power, the helper, who is coming to empower us and fill us with strength and, and the power to do and be the witness we're supposed to be. Lord, that calling that you have on our life, it's way too big for us to be a witness for you. Lord, we know we can't do that, so we just need you to help us. Lord, we need you to give us the strength and the power and the boldness to be the witness for you. Lord, we thank you for the privileged position of being in your presence, the intimacy that that proves, Lord, and the fact that we get to see behind the veil. Lord, we get to know what you're doing because of your scriptures, because of your Holy Spirit, because of how you speak to us, Lord. That's a privileged position. I thank you for that, Lord, and we just pray that we would be loyal and faithful and true and that our faith would remain, Lord. Thank you that you made it pretty simple. You said, I want you to love one another. I want you to abide in my love just as I have abided in my Father's love. Lord, that's what we want to do. Will you help us? Will you help us to finish, Lord? We thank you, Lord, that you are going to empower us and that you have empowered us and you will continue to do that until that day when all of this passes away and we rest in your presence, Lord. We long for that day when, Lord, you're getting the glory that you deserve. And when all of this wretchedness is past, Lord, we love you and we say together, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.